Her name was Katie, and she was 22 years old. And she was the persona of the American dream. Katie was just months away from graduation from a prestigious American university. Katie was blonde-haired, blue-eyed, very attractive. She was the goalkeeper for the Stanford women's soccer team, a soccer team that won the national championship in 2019 and looked to win a national championship again. But in March of this year, Katie lost hope, and Katie took her own life. Her family loved her. She loved her family. Her mom and dad had spoken to her the day before and saw absolutely no red flags, nothing to be concerned about whatsoever. But at some point in time, and we may never know the answer to the question, whatever it was that Katie was trusting in, Whatever it was that she was hoping for, she lost that hope, and with it, she gave in to suicide. The American Counseling Association says that when someone who has hope, they're not likely to end their own life. Things may be miserable at the moment, but individuals will hang on if they know there is light at the end of the tunnel and a chance that things will get better. But when you begin to believe that what you are feeling and what you are experiencing now is what you are always going to feel and always going to experience, hopelessness comes to the surface and sometimes wins the day. Look around the world that we live in today and it's not difficult to find the hopelessness. War, famine, plague, inflation, violence. Incivility, disease, social issues, political outcomes, financial matters, health concerns. Never before in our lifetime have we seen the level of anxiety that exists. And every time that you flip on the news, the manifestation of the hopelessness plays out in social media, in road rage in mass shootings, in incivility. We have lost the ability to get along with one another because that which we have been placing our hope in isn't doing it for us. And the consequences of hopelessness seem to be that when something that we put our hope in doesn't work out, we grow disappointed and then we grow angry and then we lose control. Because that which we thought was ultimately going to satisfy, one day we wake up and discover that it didn't, and we lose hope. What is this hope that is so needed in our world today? What is biblical hope? If you have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. I want to read a passage from 1 Peter 1 beginning in that first verse, and we'll read through verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is biblical Hope. What is the living hope that Peter is writing about? Well, there's a couple of foundational things that we need to understand about hope that Peter actually reveals in the opening verses of this passage. The first thing that we need to understand about biblical hope is that the way that we typically use the word hope isn't the way the Bible uses the word hope. When we say, I hope, what most of us hear is, I wish. And, and it's sort of when I wish upon a star, twinkle, twinkle, little star, and it's like pie in the sky, by and by, we hope that this happens, but it probably won't. I hope that my team wins the World Series this year, but they probably won't. What is biblical hope? Hope is not a wish. Biblical hope is actually a confident expectation in an outcome. It's not just a wish, but it's actually a desire that is based on evidence. There's a reason to believe. So the Bible talks about confident expectation rather than just a wish. It's not passive. It's actually very dynamic. It isn't just a hope that's wishing for an escape pod. It's actually a posture of confidence that's based on evidence. For example, if I were to say to you, I wish or I hope that we get some more rain in the next couple of weeks. Well, all you need to do is pull out your phone and pull out your weather app and say, well, you may be hoping that, but the reality is there is no evidence that there's going to be any change in the weather pattern. So, that's just a wish. I, I'm, I'm expressing that I wish that it would be that way, but I really don't hope, I don't expect it to happen. However, if I were to stand in front of you and say, man, I really hope that in a couple of months we're going to experience some bitter, cold, sub-freezing temperatures and a lot of snow and ice. If you've lived in Erie for more than 10 minutes, you would go, well, that's based on evidence, my friend. 
You can be confident of that. If you're, if you're thinking about moving here, you can confidently expect that that is exactly what's going to happen. Because you've got years and years and years and years of evidence to support that hope. That's the difference between biblical hope and just wishing. Now, the second thing that we need to understand about this is hope always requires an object. Biblical hope always has to be tagged team with something that that hope is placed in. Hope never just floats around in the sky. My hope, my hope is always in something. Now, when we were driving up this morning from Grove City, we crossed several bridges. And as we went across those bridges for just that brief amount of time, my hope was in the integrity of the bridge. I was hoping that the person who built that bridge was really paying attention that day. And that they built it properly according to spec. Hope always is placed in something. So anybody that says, well, I'm just a man of faith. Well, that's great. But what's your faith in? That becomes the issue. Well, I have hope. What's your hope in? Hope always needs a repository. It needs something that it's placed in. Now in verse 1, Peter writes some very important words to his audience, and we'll talk about his audience in a minute, but this is how he starts. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces, and then he goes through that list of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and all those other names that aren't terribly important to us this morning. But he writes to exiles. The better word that we would probably use would be sojourners. People who are for whatever reason, temporarily not at home. That's his audience that he's writing to. And he wants to highlight that fact. You are temporarily not at home. Well, wait a minute. What's he saying? I have spent three of the last five weeks of my life at three different camps. I spoke at a camp in Eastern PA for a week, and then I was at the Mahaffey family camp for a week, and then I was home for five days, and then I was at Edinburgh family camp for another nine days. At the end of those three weeks of camp, can I tell you something between us friends? I was ready to go home. And I had good experiences at all three camps. There was nothing wrong with any of my camp experiences, but after three weeks of camp food (laughs) and camp mattresses, I was ready to sleep in my own bed. I was ready to go home. And the reason that I was able to communicate that to my bride, who was only with me for one of those three weeks, because she's smart. (laughs) When I said, I'm ready to come home, she didn't go, what home? What are you talking about? She knew that I wasn't at home. Peter's writing to an audience of people, and he wants them to understand something very clearly. What you are experiencing right now, where you are living right now, what you are going through right now, this isn't home. You were not created for this place. This is your sojourner place. This is your exile place. This is your temporary place. But there is another place, a much more permanent, can we say, eternal home that you're pining for. And that's okay. So when you are going through calamity, when you're going through tragedy, when you're going through the unexpected, 
It's okay to go, this isn't it. I wasn't made for the story to end here. We used to sing the song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You see, a sojourner goes, you know, this isn't terrible, but there's just something kind of out of sync. There's just something about this existence. It's almost like I was made for something greater. That's because you were. That longing for home. Peter highlights that. He also goes on in in verse 2 to talk about the fact that these exiles have been chosen. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Peter wants his audience to understand that this hope that he's going to be talking to them about, it doesn't originate with them. This hope is not something that they're going to need to find buried deep inside of themselves. This hope is born of the fact that God the Father in his foreknowledge chose them. The reason that we have a home to look forward to is not because of anything we've ever done. It's because God chose us to be in him. Hope is beginning with God's choosing. Now, in some theological circles, I'm going to drop a really big theological word on you here, but in some theological circles, when we talk about God extending his kindness to us that we don't deserve, we call that mercy. God's mercy. That's why I have hope. Not because of me, but because of him. His posture toward me is one of kindness. And because of his mercy, I have been chosen by him. Anybody ever remember your playground days? Oh, I was not the athletic stud back then that I am now. So I just want you to be aware of that. I was skinny and scrawny and I wasn't terribly athletic. And those moments on the playground when someone would say, hey, we're going to get a football game going or we're going to get a kickball game going, let's choose up teams and my heart would sink. Because we'd all line up and then the two guys who were the biggest athletes would step out and they'd be the captains and then they would start to pick up teams. And inevitably it went like this. They would pick their best friend and then they would pick the the person they thought would be able to most help them win and then the person who owed the money and then it'd go down the list and eventually it's me and the kid with a broken leg standing next to each other. And sometimes the kid with the broken leg got to pick before me. There is something really cool about being chosen. I want you on my team. And there's something devastating about not being chosen. I don't want you. Peter says, God chose you. He reached out in his mercy to you and said, I want you. And the reason that I can live with this living hope that we haven't even defined yet is because of God initiating his mercy toward me. And then one final baseline idea about hope. What's the bottom line of hope? Why is, why is God interested in me having hope? Well, hear what he says. Verse 2. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. The end result of my living with a confident expectation 
in God is not so that I can sleep better at night. It's not so that I can be better than my next door neighbor. The reason that God wants me to live with confident expectation in him that he is going to do what he has promised to do is so that I can live a life of obedience to him. That's what Peter says. Yeah, this hope that we're talking about, God choosing you, this, this is really all about obedience. Verse 2 again. You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. He wants me to live a life of obedience, but how is that going to happen if I'm not confident that he's going to actually show up? If he's not going to really fulfill his promises, if he's not going to do for me what he has promised to do, if I don't have confidence in that, if all I can do is wish... And how am I going to live an obedient life, particularly when he calls me to do something that doesn't make sense to me? How am I ever going to step out in faith and obey him in anything that doesn't make absolute sense to me unless I am confident in him? So the purpose of this hope is obedience. Now, here's where the challenge comes in. So far, so good. But here's the challenge. What happens when the repository of my hope, when the thing that I'm putting my hope in is the wrong thing. Well, what would that look like? Well, let me give you a couple of quick examples. Sometimes we slide into putting our hope in our corporate ingenuity. When we face a crisis, when we face a problem, our default as human beings is often to trust our ability to figure it out. We get struck with something that we weren't looking for and we go, I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, no. No. We, we probably won't because some, some of the problems that we're facing have been around for a long time and we still haven't figured it out. Another thing that people say sometimes is, well, my hope is in my family. That's, that's where I put that. I, I have confidence in my family. My family is always going to be there for me. They're always going to step up. And we like to believe that that's true, but let's be real. Family isn't always there for us. It's not, sometimes not by their own choosing. Sometimes they're a thousand miles away and they can't do anything for us. But sometimes we've turned around and the person that we put our hope in, they're gone. They bailed. You've had that happen. I've had that happen. The person that I really was counting on, the person that I was trusting in, sometimes lets me down. That's not a good place to put my hope. When I was a pastor, I used to do premarital counseling and couples would come in, you know, six months before the wedding and we'd start and I'd say, you know, tell me about yourselves. Tell me why you want to get married. And usually the wife would lead off and she'd look over at her fiance and she'd go, he's my whole world. Yeah. And he'd look at her and go, she completes me. <laughs> yeah, I guess her work isn't done yet. <laughs> you see, I don't think that God wants us to look at our spouse and say, my hope's in you. You're going to be the one that makes me happy. You're going to be the one that completes me. You're going to one that bring, you bring me joy. That's not a good place to do it because they're looking at me going, you are going to do that for me. 
and we got problems. By the way, I think the true test of whether a husband really loves his wife or a wife loves her husband is what I call the vomit test. Are you willing to hold back your wife's hair as she's puking her guts out into the toilet? Because if you're willing to do that, you love her. This Valentine's Day stuff with all the chocolate and all the fancy meals and everything, that's not the true test of love. God isn't looking for your spouse to fulfill you. And you shouldn't be looking for them to fulfill you either. That's not a good place to put your hope. The third thing we do sometimes is we slide into putting our hope in progress. Things are getting better. We're going to do better. And the problem is that we look at what we define as progress and it's really not all that appealing. Sometimes we say, if I just had some financial progress, I'd be in a better place. I look at some of the billionaires in our world and I go, if that's what progress looks like, I don't really want it. Listen to what God's word says. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter wants us to understand this very clearly. The only place where I'm going to find the kind of hope that I need is in Jesus. He alone is worthy of receiving my hope. My confidence cannot be in anything other than him. And when my confidence is placed in the wrong thing or the wrong person or the wrong idea, it's going to lead to disappointment and then to frustration and then to anger and then to conflict. Misplaced hope is what is breeding so much of the civility that plagues our culture today. When we move from trusting God and the living hope of Jesus Christ into trusting in a political party, in trusting in economic renewal, in trusting in family or tradition, in trusting in a better future, we have moved away from trusting in Christ and we are trusting in the wrong thing and the inevitable outcome is going to be disappointment, frustration, anger, and conflict. Now Peter was writing to a group of people, a group of Christians who were going through a very challenging season of life. And I could give you a bunch of contextual information about it, but let me just tell you this. People, Peter's audience on any given Sunday as they would gather for worship, the following Sunday there'd be one, two, three people who weren't there. They weren't at the beach. They weren't on vacation. They had been handpicked by Nero, tied up, dipped in oil, and set on fire to illuminate his garden parties. That was the world that they lived in. You could just be snatched at any point in time and turned into a tiki torch. 
by the emperor. And there was no place to go to fight for your rights. There were no lawyers to file lawsuits on your behalf. They were allowed to do it. And this was the existence of Peter's audience. So when Peter writes, Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Yet. Look at verse 3. Look at how he starts the heart of this passage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In the midst of all of the pain and the suffering and the loss, the murder, Peter opens by saying, praise God. (laughs) Peter, are you okay? You should be fighting back. You should be lamenting your loss. You should be so discouraged and despairing and defeated, and yet you open with, praise God. One author writes, the hope that God has provided for you is not merely a wish. Neither is it dependent on other people, possessions, or circumstances for its validity. Instead, biblical hope is an application of your faith that supplies a confident expectation in God's fulfillment of his promises. Coupled with faith and love, hope is part of the abiding characteristics in a believer's life. And listen to what he writes in verse 4. It is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You put your hope in progress and eventually what was progress today is going to be ridiculed as being old school tomorrow. But you put your hope in Jesus and it will never spoil, it will never fade, it will never dim. It will abide. It is an inheritance that can never perish. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They were a family not unlike your family. The name was Willis. He was a pastor. And the only thing unusual about them was they had nine children. Three of them were already graduated and away from home. But the Willis family one day a few years ago was driving in their minivan on the beltway around Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And a truck in front of them lost a piece off of the back of the truck. And that piece of metal bounced and came underneath their minivan. It ruptured their gas tank and their vehicle exploded in flames. Mr. and Mrs. Willis were able to roll out of their burning vehicle. Their bodies badly burned. But as they gained their senses and looked back, they were witness to all six of their children burning to death before their very eyes. A reporter for the Chicago Tribune attended the memorial service for those six children. And he wrote an article and he said, I went expecting to find this couple inconsolable. I expected grief. I expected tears and there were grief and tears. But he said, I found something that I didn't expect in the midst of all of this tragic loss. This couple spoke of being reunited with their children. This couple spoke of their hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it became a testimony 
to hundreds of thousands of people who read that article and who experienced that story that in the midst of a loss that is incomprehensible, the attitude of the parents was pain. But there was a living hope. It, It brings to mind Paul and Silas in that prison cell in Philippi. Backs beaten and bloodied, chained, arms and legs, midnight. And what do they do? They sing and they pray. And God shows up and shakes the prison. Hope. Instead of despair, instead of fear, rejoicing. You see, the origin of our hope is not our circumstances And when our hope has been misplaced, it needs to be realigned so that it is once again in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is my hope. My hope is not that I'm going to somehow get smart and figure out all the problems. My hope is not that one political party or another is going to gain power. My hope is not that my bank account is going to blossom. My hope is in Christ. And that impacts me today, but it also impacts me tomorrow. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is my hope. Pastor Tony Evans tells a story about taking a vacation with his family to New York City. He said, just as we were getting out of the taxi and checking into our hotel, the entire section of New York City had a power outage. Everything seemed to go black. He said, we walked into our hotel. The first thing they told us was, we've lost power, so there's going to be no food. We also have no air conditioning. They were guided up to their room. There was no elevator. They had to walk the stairs by flashlight. And they got into their room, and the first thought on their mind was, do these windows open so they could get some air moving in their room? And they pulled back the blinds and looked across the street, and there directly across the street was a hotel with its lights on, glowing. And Tony Evans said, I'm not a dumb man, so I immediately went downstairs through the lobby across the street and walked into this hotel. And he said, the first thing that hit me was on a hot, muggy summer day, I felt the cool of the air conditioning. And he said, my nostrils picked up the aroma of food in the restaurant that was being prepared. And he started calculating how long it would take to get them packed up and down across the street into their new hotel But he said, I was just curious enough, so I said to the concierge, I I need to ask you a question. This whole section of New York City is without power. How is it that this hotel has power? And the concierge said, we are run by a gasoline generator. And then he said these words, we have power on the inside that's not controlled by circumstances on the outside. Christian, if your hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have confidence in something on the inside that cannot be rattled by what goes on on the outside. But sometimes we go there. Sometimes we get fearful. We get anxious. And Peter reminds us to come back to that place of trusting in Jesus, you are my hope. You are where my confidence lies. Not in me, not in us, but in you.
When our hope is in the wrong place, it needs to be restored to the right place. Earlier this year, I attended a missions festival, a day-long missions festival at the Grove City Church, and it was a wonderful day. There were many missionary speakers, powerful speakers, but there was one couple that said something that just struck me and has just resonated with me all year long. There are two of our international workers who serve in a very dangerous part of the world. And that day, they stood in front of us and they said these words, please do not pray for our safety. Pray that God's will will be done in our lives. I can't tell you how that knocked me down. Don't pray for our safety. Don't pray for our security. Don't pray that everything will be all right. Pray that come what may, God's will will be accomplished in our lives. Folks, that is graduate level Christianity. That is when I, I have my confidence not in my safety and security and my comfort and my understanding, but when my confidence is in the resurrected Jesus that we sang of this morning. It changes everything. What it means is bring on the unexpected tragedy. Bring on the pain. Bring on the illness. Bring on loss, if you will. Because standing on the other side of it will be the person of Jesus who has allowed it to come into my life so that I can learn to obey him. And come what may, in him I am secure. Would you pray with me? Jesus, the challenge for us this morning is not believing. It's in continuing to believe. Because I believe that I am given to seasons of putting my hope in the wrong thing. Institutions and people and traditions. And I believe that what you're calling us to today is to restore our complete and total confidence in the living hope that is you. So that when we experience pain and injustice and loss and suffering, instead of just being overwhelmed with fear and disappointment and anger, instead, we see that even in the midst of it, you're there accomplishing your will, moving us to more obedient lives. May our hope be in you today, I pray.